Are you a current or future physician assistant wanting to learn more about finances? Then join me on this journey to become a PA the FI way. Hi, my name is Kat and I'm a practicing certified physician assistant who will be your host. It took me five years after I started practicing medicine as a PA to thoroughly dive into my personal finances after I discovered the concept of financial independence. I want to use what I have learned to help you avoid some of the financial mistakes that I have made while sharing some of the financial wins that I have had along the way. Join me as we discuss financial strategies to guide you to becoming a physician assistant on the way to financial independence. Welcome back to the PA the FI Way podcast. This is Kat, your host, and this is the podcast for all the current and future PAs out there who are trying to pursue financial independence. I hope you are all having a great week so far. This week is my first week at a different clinic location within the same organization that I'm at, but a lot closer to home. So instead of having a 30 to 45 minute commute each way, it's now down to about 10 minutes each way. So I'm really thankful to have a shorter commute. Time is one of life's most precious resources out there. So at any point where I can save more time and use time to my benefit in the way that I would like it, that makes me really excited. So I'm very thankful. The topic of today's episode is all about negotiation for your compensation or salary and benefits as well. On the surface, this topic may seem fairly straightforward and not that in-depth of a topic, but once you start researching all the different aspects of negotiation and all of the different things that can be negotiated, as well as different things that can come up in a contract, I think you will soon realize that really this topic is very in-depth and has lots of layers to it. So I do want to preface this in saying that I am not a negotiation expert. Some providers even hire attorneys to review their contracts I would say that's more common among physicians, but there very likely are some PAs out there that have done that as well. My first PA position that I had right after PA school actually was a non-contract position as a PA, which is very interesting. It's a very large local organization, and the APPs generally did not have contracts. It sounds as though the physicians did, interestingly enough. So with that role... There was essentially a offer that they gave you in writing as to what your pay would be and things like that, but there was no formal contract that you would sign that listed out a bunch of little details or things like that. They had what I would say would be like a lot of standards throughout the company for APPs. My current role does have a contract, so that is a little different as well. It's very important that no matter what type of job you start without a PA school or what types of jobs you transition to, if you change different specialties or different organizations throughout your practicing career as a PA, that you truly understand all of the little nitty gritty details, as well as how you're going to be getting paid. Back on episode nine, if you have not listened to that episode already, it covers an overview of the various PA compensation models. So it talks about salary, hourly, productivity pay, RVUs, which are usually used to act as a guide for how much production you will get paid for your productivity, 
or other types of bonus structures, etc. So if you'd like an overview of all the different ways that PAs can get paid, make sure you check out episode nine if you haven't listened to it already. So let's first talk about the different types of things that you can negotiate. And this conversation includes both when you are initially signing a contract at your first job out of PA school or your new job if you are transitioning throughout your career, because it's important to keep in mind that you can renegotiate after you've been practicing at a job for some time, whether that's at your yearly review, or sometimes you may say right at the onset of the job, hey, I would like to renegotiate in six months to kind of see how things are going and after I build up my practice. If you and your employer agree to that initially before signing on, you may want to consider getting that in writing as well. But one of the obvious first things that you can negotiate is your pay or your salary. Now the term salary has some nuances, meaning is it the total amount of money you're making in a year or is it that you're truly based on a salary, meaning a certain amount every single year versus hourly, again, versus production, those types of things. So we will talk about different tips of how to negotiate towards the end of the episode, but keep in mind that the amount that they offer you to begin with likely has some wiggle room whether they say that it does or doesn't. I will say though that sometimes larger organizations such as my first role as a PA, they will often have standards for PAs or other APPs as well in that as a new grad, this is the amount that they offer, period, no negotiation. You still should ask and request and try to negotiate, but it might be their policy that they may just not negotiate, especially with new grads. The next area that you can negotiate in is benefits. So there are all sorts of types of benefits and some benefits that are provided. It can be company policy that they can't make any changes or exceptions for different employees or providers. So even though you may not like that a benefit isn't offered or maybe you don't prefer what type of benefit they offer in general, they may not be able to make an exception specifically for you. I would encourage you to consider the benefits though as part of your compensation package. So does the place offer good medical, dental, vision insurance? Do they have access to retirement accounts with employer matching, etc.? Another important benefit to consider that very likely is negotiable is PTO or time off. So I differentiated the two because PTO stands for paid time off, but there are some PA roles out there where you don't technically get paid for your time off, although you can negotiate having time off if you would like. And one of my main jobs that I've had over the years was like this because I was paid purely on productivity via the amount of RVUs that I had earned per quarter, there was no such thing as PTO, meaning that I could take time off for all major holidays because the clinic was technically closed as a family medicine clinic. And my time off also included CME and sick days and travel, relaxation, etc. They only allotted or allowed for so many days per year though. Additionally, some PAs may be working as 1099 contracted employees, and they may be able to set their own hours or have a little bit more say in what they do. Some of their pay may also be based on productivity or likely is, kind of depends upon the role, but they may also not get PTO. Probably many salary or hourly PAs will have PTO, where you actually get paid for those days off. Now, going back to those roles where you don't get PTO, 
They likely are higher pain, so it probably evens out and averages out over time where it doesn't really matter if you get paid for that time off or not. But again, it just overall depends. So you can try to negotiate more PTO or time off if you would like to. And it's really important that you clarify whether it's in the contract or during the negotiation process. Is this all inclusive of time to be able to complete CME or continuing medical education that's required to maintain your licensure as a PA? And does this include sick time or are there separate banks for those types of things as well? Even things such as bereavement days to unfortunately attend different funerals if those come up throughout your life, those might be in separate banks as well, or they may again be all inclusive. As I touched on, CME is another benefit that is very likely negotiable. And this is twofold. One is the amount of days or amount of hours per year that you are compensated for to be able to have your CME training as well as the CME budget. So I would venture to say that most employers will offer a CME budget for their PAs. And you can discuss this with other PAs in your state or in your field or in the organization if you know any of them to kind of see what the budget is. Again, sometimes it's standard. So some organizations say this is all that it is for PAs or NPs, other APPs, and it may or may not change over the years. Other organizations may allow you to negotiate some more CME budget if you would like. I highly encourage you to negotiate more days and more funds in your CME budget if you're able to, because many CME conferences are minimally three days, if not like five days. And sometimes in a year, you may want to go to both your state conference as well as the national AAPA conference, or even use other companies and organizations to obtain your CME through, such as MER conferences or MCE conferences, which have half-day conferences that are nice to attend. You certainly get fewer CME hours and credits to use, but then you have a half a day to be able to explore the area that you are visiting if you do choose to travel outside of your state. And all of you new PAs out there, you very likely are thinking, oh, well, I can definitely do an all-day conference because I'm so used to PA school where I was sitting in school all day long. And that very likely may be the case, at least for your first couple to a few years out of PA school. But trust me, there's something about getting older and practicing in medicine for a few years that it makes it so difficult to actually sit in lecture for a full day (laughs) listening to CME conferences. So no matter how riveting they are, I still really do enjoy attending CME conferences, don't get me wrong. But sometimes towards the end of the day, you really do get antsy. Another thing that you can negotiate is your schedule. And this is huge. Myself, for example, I have worked four days in a week pretty much my whole career. The only time I had to work five days in a week was if I was having to work on a weekend to cover for urgent care walk-in at my first job. But standard was that I was working four days a week. And this has been absolutely something I've treasured. In episode 39, I talked about the advantages as well as some disadvantages of having a four-day work week as a PA. So go ahead and take a listen to that episode if you haven't already. But I'm pretty sure I could never go back to working five days traditionally every single week as a PA. My day off is just too valuable. But additionally, in my new role, I've been able to negotiate to have Fridays off as well. Whereas my previous organization, 
had said, sorry, we just can't make that happen. And I did have to be somewhat patient with my current organization to be able to get the Friday off. But I am very thankful because it works so much better for my family. I don't have any kiddos right now, but we do so many different things where we're out of town on Fridays that instead of having to take so many of my precious PTO days and use them for many Fridays, I was able to have a schedule now where I do have Fridays off, which I'm very thankful for. I know many PAs out there are parents, and you may find that a role is super important to you to have a very flexible schedule where you might have to like drop your kids off at school some morning, or they may have a weekly or monthly appointment in the morning where you have to get into work late. So you have a later start time, whether that's every day of the week or only certain days of the week, or maybe some days you need to be done by a certain time to be able to pick your kids up or things like that. So if you have a certain schedule that you would really value in your life, make sure to try to negotiate that as well. Because pursuing financial independence as a PA is not all about what your life would look like once you actually reach financial independence. It's also about how can you make your life better suited and more enjoyable along the way for here and now. Another thing that you can negotiate is having reimbursement for your license. So I've touched on some of these already, but especially this one and the next few items I'm going to talk about. All of these are under the umbrella of the associated financial costs of practicing as a PA, which I talked about in episode 15. And it talks about how the PA profession, it's actually kind of expensive to become a PA, obviously not just student loans, but other things as well, like the pants exam, but also maintain being a PA. And Renewing your state license, or if you practice in many states, multiple state license, if you do telemed or live on borders of states or something like that, that's one of the things that can add up. And it's essential for doing your job. So many employers will cover this, but try to negotiate that if they don't offer it already. Same with your DEA, to be able to prescribe controlled substances. It seems as though every time I look, the DEA cost just keeps jumping and jumping, and it's pretty high right now. So I think it's just going to keep getting higher. Again, try to have your employer cover this if they're able to. Another thing is professional organization fees, and this would include the National PA Organization, which is AAPA, as well as your state PA society if you are wanting to be members of both of them. I really encourage that you do because... These organizations advocate for you and try to promote the PA profession and try to push for legislation that's favorable towards PAs as well. My first primary role as a PA, the organization did cover both one national and one state organization fees, but my current organization does not unless it comes out of the CME budget. And unfortunately, I have heard that my previous organization also is not covering this as well and is going to make this come out of the CME budget as well. Another thing that could be negotiated is a shift differential. So for example, if you are working overnights or evening shift, you can negotiate that pay to be more, which is very common. Again, the organization may have like a standard for those hours for urgent care, ER or something like that. But if they don't offer it, then you can try to negotiate it as well. 
You could also try to negotiate relocation expenses. So let's say you're moving to a different area of the state or moving out of state or across the country. Moving a whole house and a whole family can be pretty expensive. So definitely keep that one in mind. You could also try to get a sign-on bonus. So some positions may post on the job description that they're offering a sign-on bonus. Or if they don't post that, you can always try to ask for it and negotiate it as well. However, it's very important that you understand the terms of the sign-on bonus. For example, there might be something in the contract where it states that if you leave before one year or two years or something like that of being with the company, then you might have to repay it back. So you may not want to obtain the bonus and then spend it all and then six months later feel like, oh, shoot, I have to stay at this job because I don't have this extra set of money lying around to repay the sign-on bonus. That would feel as though a pretty crummy situation to be in, so just be mindful of that. You could also negotiate having different memberships or resources offered for you, such as an up-to-date subscription. Many employers will offer the standard to their employees. I know that some PAs like Hippocrates, so you could ask for that if that's what you prefer. We in psychiatry use NEI very often as a resource, which is stalls. It's kind of like up-to-date for psychiatry providers. And again, whether that comes out of your CME fund or whether an employer may cover this if you try to negotiate for it, that might be a possibility as well. So before we review some tips to use throughout the negotiation process, let's first review a few different things to make sure that you are reviewing in your contract. So these may or may not be negotiable, I would err on the side as probably not, probably their company standards or policies, but it's very important that you review them, understand them, and are okay with them before you sign a contract. So one of the most important things is whether or not there's a non-compete clause. So a non-compete clause essentially is this statement in the contract that states that if you end your employment you cannot work for any organization within a certain mile radius usually for a certain period of time. So it might be like within 10 to 50 miles around the clinic or the hospital, and it might be for one year or two years or five years or something like that. So in an ideal world, you don't want to sign anything with a non-compete clause if you can help it because doing so would keep your options open more so for future employment. However, I would say many contracts do include these, so you have to be okay with it if your contract has them. As I mentioned with my first role that was a non-contract employee role, because I didn't have a contract, I did not have a non-compete. I could literally go across the street if I wanted to to a clinic and say, hey, I'd rather work here instead if that were the case. My current role has a non-compete, but it is very minimal, meaning that it's not very restrictive. So I was okay signing that. I think if you are a new PA right out of school and are somewhat desperate to find a job, 
you may fall prey to some of the non-compete clauses that are out there. Now, again, there's always the fine balance between finding a job and just getting your foot in the door of starting your PA career so you can start building experience versus kind of being stuck in a position or being taken advantage of. So those are some cautions for you to consider. I'll also share a non-compete clause story from one of my PA friends who we met in PA school where she was working somewhat rural area of the state and she was working in the ER and was interviewing for another specialty and unfortunately found out that the non-compete not only translated into other ERs with a fairly large mileage radius around the current ER, but that it also included non-compete for any other PA specialty, which I thought was pretty sad and ridiculous in that she wasn't going to be competing against an ER, right? She was trying to go into a different specialty as a PA. And that organization viewed that as competing, which I thought was really sad. So my suspicion is that it's probably that it was such a remote rural area of the state that they felt as though if they got a PA within their organization, they really didn't want to let them go. I don't really know. But again, it's really important that you just review all of those details and are completely okay with any non-compete clause that you do sign if you do have to sign one. Another very important thing to review in your contract is whether or not malpractice insurance is provided by the employer for you. That's a very valuable benefit. Obviously, if you were to become sued in the future, you would want to make sure that you are covered to a good and appropriate amount. And then another nuance of malpractice is that you also would like to have tail coverage, meaning that once you leave the position, that the malpractice still is in effect for a period of time after you have left the practice. Because, for example, if on the last day of working at your practice, a patient becomes upset with you, then a few months later after you've left, they may decide to try to sue you. Another important thing to review in your contract is the vesting schedule. So this podcast is all about trying to build your wealth often using investing in retirement accounts such as your 401k. And so a vesting schedule demonstrates how you would become vested, meaning where you can obtain the funds such as your employer match. So with many 401k plans, you can contribute the standard amount per year if you would like, and that money is your own to keep. Well, if an employer match is offered, you might not even be eligible for it right away. So you want to know those details of when you would become eligible for it, but then also the vesting schedule, meaning when are those funds actually yours to keep? It might be like a laddered approach, meaning like every year or so you get an additional percentage to keep over a certain period of time, or it might just say you don't get to keep any of it up until you've worked for us for so many years as well. So definitely understand those nuances too. And then it's also really important that you understand the termination details of the contract, meaning how could this contract end? What would I have to do to make this end? What would the employer have to do? How much of a heads up or notice would 
either the employer or myself as the employee need to provide to each other. So now that we've reviewed different things that can be negotiated, but other important things to review in your contract as well, if you do have a contract, let's talk about some negotiation tips. So one of the very first things that you want to consider would be, what are your goals? What are your priorities? And what are your wishes? Meaning, is there a certain dollar amount that you feel like you have to make every single year? And that's your absolute top priority because maybe you're wanting to pay off your debt aggressively and invest aggressively in the future as well to save and have your net worth grow over time? Or do you instead more so value flexibility, a certain schedule with certain hours, a lot of PTO if you like to travel a lot? It's important that you try to prioritize those things. Next, it's also important that you know your worth. So not only do you want to have confidence that you can provide value to this place that you are wanting to work at. But it's also important that you have reviewed what would be a competitive salary or competitive pay for your state, the specialty, your years of experience, all of those details broken down. And AAPA does have a salary report that you can look at. The salary report is definitely good for an initial guideline to start with but it is limited to how many people respond to the report or take the time to fill it out. So I have heard that the numbers are probably on the lower end because all of the PAs in all of the country do not take the time to fill that out. If you know any other APPs within the organization you feel comfortable asking them, you could also try to get a ballpark from them what they may make too to try to help with your negotiation. Another very important tip is to do your best to never say the first number between you and the negotiator, which is the representative of the company that you are talking to. This may be someone in HR or perhaps even a physician owner or something like that. You never want to be the first one between you two to give the salary that you were thinking or that they were thinking. Now, they obviously know that as a standard rule as well. So it can take a little bit of time and a little bit of patience to try to see if they will provide that for you. And they may be somewhat direct in asking you, what were you hoping to make? You can sort of divert the question by saying something like, I'm really excited to interview for this opportunity, or I've really been enjoying my interview so far. I feel confident that we will be able to come to a number that we both would feel as though is fair for this role, given my training and expertise and qualifications that I have. You could also ask them to share what they think is a fair range for the role that you are applying for. So then they can perhaps provide a low end as well as a potential higher end so that you can kind of use that to gauge what you were thinking about in your mind as well. Alternatively, if push comes to shove as well, and you feel as though you do need to be the first one to say something, no matter how much you've tried not to, you can provide a range as well. So try not to just say one number, but instead say this lower end of what you would take as your absolute potential bottom dollar, and then try to give a high number as well. And perhaps you two can meet in the middle as is the goal for negotiation. Another tip for negotiation is you could consider trying to use silence as your friend. So if you are given 
what the salary, what the compensation, what the benefits are, and you feel as though it's a somewhat lowball offer, you can just kind of try to keep your mouth shut, kind of nod your head, and kind of think about that for a few moments. And doing so can perhaps give the negotiator some time to reconsider their offer or try to help sweeten the deal a little bit more as well. This obviously doesn't work if you are negotiating through email, for example, but if you are negotiating in person or over the phone, then it could potentially help because it can give you some time to process what they are saying as well. Obviously, you don't want to make this super awkward. It's probably going to feel somewhat awkward to you if you use any silence, but it's very appropriate to comprehend what they said and see if they have anything more to add or anything more to say, so to speak. Some general words of advice for negotiation are to always be polite and professional, accept any offer with grace, and even if you are offended or hurt or upset or frustrated, there's many emotions you can feel while you are interviewing a negotiation for different jobs as well. Always make sure that you are representing yourself as well as the profession in a dignified manner. And then always do your best to provide justification for any of your requests. So you can use data, again, going back to perhaps the APA salary report, or if you are renegotiating, you can request to look back at the previous year at the productivity that you have had or the RVUs that you have generated. And you can use that as the starting point for renegotiation as well. And then you can also provide examples of how you are a great provider, so why they should try to help accommodate your requests. You also should try to avoid saying things like, I really need more money so I can pay back my student loans. You don't want to make it personal. You want to make it professional and about how you can benefit your employer overall. Maybe you have helped your employer obtain a lot of new patients by different strategies that you've used, different marketing techniques or things like that. Or perhaps you have helped them with spearheading or starting a new project. All of those different things that you have tried to help your employer with over the year can also be used in your arsenal to try to help demonstrate your worth so that you are able to show that you're a team player and potentially get more what you would like when you renegotiate. I really hope that this information in today's episode was valuable for the new PAs who are going to be negotiating their first job out of PA school, as well as the experienced PAs that are going to be renegotiating over their careers as PAs as well. If you would like to support the show, you can keep me caffeinated by buying me a coffee at the link in the show notes or at PA the FI way. I really appreciate your support for the show as well as all of the reviews that people have left. So make sure to subscribe to the podcast as well as leave a written review, sharing the things that you've enjoyed as well if you're interested. This community of current and future PAs that are trying to pursue financial independence and build wealth over time for themselves and their families are truly amazing. So thank you guys for being so great and I really hope that these negotiation tips are incredibly helpful for you in your journey to build wealth. I'll see you next week. 
Thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you decide to continue to join me along this journey of becoming a PA the FI way. Please take a moment to press the subscribe button on the platform that you are listening to this on, but more importantly, consider sharing with another current or future PA that could benefit from the information that we reviewed in this episode. Take care and have a great rest of your day. Until next time.